this is what Le Mans sounds like at night if you're up by the Dunlop Bridge approaching Tête Rouge at the S's as you know one of my favourite places to watch the race at night it is quarter to twelve the race has been running nearly nine hours Because of a massive smash by was it Mike Rockefeller who was in the number two Audi? Wasn't it, it was, he was yeah. Steering at the time, yes. And he clipped another car, the number seventy-one Ferrari. It was a right? Ferrari, yeah. They had it coming together, and Rockefeller ended up in the barrier in quite a big way. We haven't seen a replay of it, but it sounded like it was a very big impact. Yeah, two Audis, another Audi out in a yeah. in a big smash. So. Audi have now got one car left running. Here comes the field. That's uh, Johnny Molem in the 65 Jet Alliance Lotus. 58 Ferrari. Another Ferrari. Some 911s. So that's the LMP2s and the GTEs. More LMP2s. after the next safety car we'll pick up Trullier who's currently leading in the number two Audi at the moment so despite the bad news of two Audis out in accidents the good news is both the drivers seem to be okay and potentially setting up a fascinating rest of the race as the Peugeots are chasing down the one remaining Audi which was hanging on to the lead over the number seven car this is kind of like payback because last year's race you heard me say here they come the field Oh no, this is the Corvette to number 50, so it's a second safety car. That last one was Fizzy Keller in the 51 AF course Ferrari. was that? That whistled by the number 10 car. I don't uh, remember hearing it sound like that before. Not that's the fourth Peugeot, if you like, isn't it? Isn't oh, of course uh, it yeah, is. Yeah, I didn't uh, recognise it in this light. That's the Orica Matmut Peugeot, of course, with uh, Nicolas Lapierre, Olivier Panis and Nicolas Prost. But not necessarily in that order. Yeah, I was saying this is a cruel race and it's kind of payback for last year where Peugeot were decimated and the Audi dominance has been decimated so far so I mean it's looking good for Peugeot yeah I always take issue with that use of the word decimated because it means uh, yes. uh, killing one in ten it means uh, <laughs> removing one in ten of your uh, thinning out your field by one in ten uh, in the original I, sense I, I know right. that's a lost semantic battle I can't really no, stick I, I, my guns on that one we appreciate your um, insights but yeah after Peugeot had such a tough race last year had the speed to win they were in position to win and had it taken away from them with reliability problems it's a different kind of bad luck that Audi are having this year and they'll just be hoping that the good luck that's eluded Nish and Rockenfeller will ride in a number two car we'll see well it's only one way of finding out as we listen to the thumping beat of the gig that's going on here just by the Dunlop Bridge I believe Razorlight are playing at some point if they haven't already I'll take your word for it I didn't check who was playing I tell you if they don't get these barriers fixed and we don't get any racing in the next half hour I might pop around the corner and have a listen 
and a look but I'm here I'll leave you with the field going by I think for the moment the reason I should explain I misunderstood the cars going by earlier on is that there are in fact three safety cars a lead safety car a middle and a back of the pack leading the uh, slower cars or the cars that run that part of the circuit when the incident happened and I forget that I often think there's just two here we go in the morning the race has been running for 12 of its 24 hours the current car leading is the only Audi left in the race the number two Audi of Bern Trumier the second car is the number nine Persia with Simon Pagino driving third is Alexander Wurtz in the number seven Peugeot fourth at the moment Stefan Sarazan in the number eight Peugeot back in the Audi press hospitality above the pits with Richard who you just took a trip downstairs into the pits where did you go yeah I've just been down into the pit garage and they do these little tours and if you ask nicely you can get onto one of these so we went into the garage obviously it's a bit quiet because two of the cars are out now but all the mechanics are still there they explained to us that they will still stick around you're only allowed five people to do a pit stop and no more you'll get penalised you have only more people out there but if the car develops a more fundamental problem it has to be pushed into the garage they can all work on it they can all work on it so so everyone sticks around it's a real team effort they don't just stick to their car and when their car is out they all just you know scarper home so that was interesting but the things that really struck me is uh, if you've been here this year you'll have seen all the audi slogans around with this bizarre slogan ultra lightness which is just ultra is one of those funny words isn't it i don't know but um Interestingly, it is backed up by some substance, or rather some lack of substance, because they've sucked the weight out of this car. It still has to conform to the minimum weight. It's like 980 kilos, I think. Obviously, if you make the car as light as possible, then you can ballast in the places that are advantageous for handling and stuff to bring it back up to the required weight. So they took 38 kilos out of the body. 38 kilos? That's quite a lot. I don't know what it weighs in the first place. I know. Well, you know, interestingly, they wouldn't tell us what it weighs, or they didn't know. I think it's a bit of both. They certainly wouldn't tell me what the weight distribution is, but this is the first of their Le Mans cars that runs the same size tyres all round. Normally the tyres on the front were smaller. They've actually shifted the weight distribution further forward this time with this 120-degree V6, which is, you know, that's, I mean, normally V6s in road cars run 60 degrees, and that's sort of perceived to be the optimum angle, but I guess in a racing car you've got a bit more room to spread it out, so 120-degree, there's a pretty sort of wide, Well, they want to near, get the mass lower Yeah, well. exactly, get it lower, and then they can move it forward as well, and so it's uh, able to run even-sized tyres. Isn't it also the case, though, that with the diesel engine, the V angle is less important than with a petrol engine as a rule? Because the, uh, basically, basically because, because, you don't get because they rev it 
because they're revving lower. Right. Therefore, the V angle is you can compromise on the V angle if you want to. I know in a road car engine, something. it's all about your firing pulses and your crank, and it's about smoothness. There are 90 degree V6s. The one that they used for years in Peugeots and Renaults and Volvos was because it was meant to be part of a modular family with a V8. V8s are good at 90 degrees, so they've done this sort of half-assed cut-down V6, and the V8 never appeared, and it ended up being just this bastardised 90-degree V6 that was never, as a result, the smoothest V6 in the world. Anyway, we digress, but yeah, it's 120-degree, 600 in the Audi, but the most striking thing for me about these ultra-lightners was they gave us one of the mirrors to hold, and I swear, it was lighter than, say, the average magazine, or... A big sandwich. It was are they, are they astonishingly standard measurements? Uh, for mirrors? Me- yeah. I don't know. I didn't ask that. I think the baguette. Peugeot use the baguette ah, to they measure probably the do, yes. mirrors. Whereas Audi use two vice sausages stacked yeah. one on top of the other. Yeah. But the mirror is all carbon fibre, of course. And then it has glass in it. But the glass is only like two mil thick, and that is the heaviest single part of it. It's bizarrely light. You, you're handed this thing that's of a reasonable size, and you expect it to be of a reasonable weight, and it's just not. It's really disorientating at first. And the other thing that I was really struck by was there's a pedal assembly on the sort of part shelves. And the pedals themselves are these beautifully sculpted bits of carbon fibre with this just where the driver's foot would be. It's got this rough material on it to give it that grip, but otherwise it's beautifully smooth, sculpted piece of art. You'd have it on a shelf and just look at it. The finish is extraordinary. And it's like, well, who's going to see that normally? Because it's buried down the footwell of the car. Even the driver barely bloody sees it because his feet are in the way. It just needs a functional thing, but it's quite telling of the attention to detail that race teams put into this sort of stuff. Well, maybe that's just a sort of a demonstration of how uh, you know, a good engineering solution is beautiful. You know, yeah, the, the other, yeah. Do you think the best engineers have obsessive compulsive disorder? I'm just going to take another bit off that. I'm just going to yeah. take another bit off. I'm just well, going to take another do. bit off. Yeah, you'd have to, wouldn't you? It's, you've got to be so precise, nay, pedantic about these things. But One of the things about this lightness approach, though, is that, of course, it's a lot of the techniques they'll be using should transfer reasonably well to road car technology. You know, if you're figuring out a way to make a thing lighter, that's a fairly transferable technique. Granted, there's a slight difference in that most of, most of that Audi that we're watching racing today is carbon fibre and composite, and, and that's not true of the road car. So lightening the carbon fibre components isn't the same, but they're lightening the metal components as well. But more and more, we're going to see the adoption of carbon composites in road cars yeah, if the good Murray 25 is anything to... Well, actually, and the McLaren 12C yeah. as well, because that's used a different technique for building its carbon fibre hull. So, yeah, as Colin Chapman once said, ads lighters. Hub. He was a heavy smoker, <laughs> but uh, he's been misquoted ever since, and, uh, and it's paid dividends. <laughs> right, I think it's probably about time we made our way back to the campsite. We've done half the race. We want to get Where some sleep this, It's always this moment, I think I've said this now. on the Mon shows before. It's just after three o'clock. I have to admit, I am a little bit tired, I'm sure we all are, and we have to remember at this point, the race is halfway through, (laughs) only halfway through. They've still got to do it all again. It's unbelievable. Madness. Gareth Jones on speed at Le Mans 2011. In the morning. Hello again. It's five minutes to one. Zog and I got to bed, uh, or to sleeping bag if you like, at about five o'clock 
this morning, went spark out, and then woke up in shock about 45 minutes ago. So we've very quickly got into our togs, and we're hoofing it up to the circuit to watch the last two hours of this extraordinary race. Now, during the night... Some change, but Audi's still leading, Zog. We know that much, don't we? Yeah, Audi's still leading. Still being chased by four Peugeots. I just heard the Audi putting a lap on Montani. Yeah, the race is still on. Exactly. After 22 hours of racing, they're still going for it. It's become more than an endurance race. It's an endurance race run at sprint pace. And you know what? It's raining a little bit. Gareth Jones on speed at Le Mans 2011 in the afternoon. After 23 hours racing at Le Mans, just one hour to go, we're in the Audi press box again with Richard leading the race. Incredibly, the lone Audi still with a gap of how little to the next guy? One lap which is uh, Simon Pachino in the number nine Peugeot. We're reading the timing boards at the moment. There's a lot going on. I'm trying to interpret that, which says, yeah... One lap down. One lap down. Yeah, yeah the Manassian not two laps back. Give me a false read, because I think that Peugeot's going to go over the line. And then there we go. go, it's changed. 1 minute 13.666, the number of the potentially cheating beast. It, uh, well, we, sh- we should explain what happened there. As we were walking up... We heard John Hindhoff get very excited about the fact that Mark Genet in the number seven Peugeot, who's four laps down, was making it very unpleasant for Andre Lotterer in the leading Audi. That was a horrible move. Did you see it? Yeah, it was filthy, really bad. And this comes after... That was also the number seven car that earlier on was just blocking the Audi, came up to lap it, and you've got, what, three corners to get out of the way, and instead it just sort of loitered in front of him. I think... In Formula One, you'd get a right old telling off for that, but somehow, for reasons I can't possibly think of, the Peugeot got away with that one. Was Davidson driving that at the time, or was it? Uh, yes, he was. Yeah. Now, you know, he's, we, we like Anthony Davidson. We, so do. We, yeah, we do. So maybe there was a genuine reason for it, but it just seemed a little whiffy. It's a team game, this, and they are doing everything to win, but some might say that they're doing a little too much. A little bit further there down the line. And, you know, there are written rules and there are unwritten rules, you know, and if you want to do the sport properly, then you play by those. A little further down the grid, I'm very pleased to see that running sixth at the moment, my mate Neil Yarni in the Rebellion Lola Toyota, and even further down the line, the number 22 car at seventh, only slightly further down, driven by Maxime Martin at the moment, that's Vanina's car. Yes. <laughs> it's still going, it's still going. Yeah. And it gets better. The number 65 car is now 22nd at the moment. It's running 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7th in the pro GTE category. That's Johnny Molam in the 65 Lotus Evora, the Jet Alliance car. I'm very happy. A lot of my guys are still there. Some of my major players are gone. Hanging in in third there as well is the, in the pro GT classes. The BMW with Andy. Although no one's seen him. No one's seen him. At one point they did a driver change and the team said, <laughs> The other it? guy tried to get in before he'd got it's out. Oi, I'm already Sorry, in here! Didn't notice you there. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great looking car, the, the, yeah, uh, the BMW. Yeah, 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 no, it's. It uh, good out on the track last night. Yeah, fantastic. In the very wee small hours, I went down into the woods, down to Indianapolis and around then up onto Mulsanne. 
and uh, PlayStation chicane. And it's very interesting, particularly in Indianapolis, where you're standing, you see the cars come in from your left and then they sweep round, so the corner's a left-hander and, then, and they're off, disappearing into the distance. And the body language of the cars round that corner is very interesting. And the Audis and the Peugeots to some extent are very otherworldly because you can't hear so much yep. when they get back on the gas. Yep. They don't yeah. really need to seemingly feather the throttle to try and find the grip before they yep. bring it out of the corner. It's just like they just whistle round like they're literally on rails. They sort of swoop in like a jet plane, yeah. don't they? It's, 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 particularly it's at night, weird. you get this spooky feeling of yes. you, you, you hear them just kind of coming through the... Yeah. So the Audis oh, are the jet planes. Vanina's Lola with the Aston Martin engine is the... Some sort of TIE fighter some sort going of through. Horrendous dinosaur attacking <laughs> you from space. It's a great it's a, sound. Uh, a banshee dinosaur hybrid on some kind of party drug. But one of the stars of the show for me is that Lotus Evora, because it goes through the S's after the Dunlop Bridge. It's like a rocket, it fires out flame it from its exhaust. a lot of flame, that old car. That's costing um, them fuel. Well, so, yeah, yeah. And it's made onto the first timing screen now. Yeah. Largely, I think, through attrition further up the field. But, you know, however you do it, however you move up. Well, let's see if they can keep it going for the next 50 minutes. That's the sound of a Corvette leaving the pit lane. If I count down, here we go. 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2... One. There is now exactly 24 minutes racing left of the Le Mans 24 hours. Andre Lotterer leads in the number two Audi, having pitted for new tyres, but only 12 seconds behind is Simon or Simon Paginot in the number nine Peugeot. And it's raining again. As you listen to this, you will know the result by now. Obviously, we don't, because we're talking to you 24 minutes before the end. I am finding this uncommonly stressful. I can't, I can't bear it, because I'm disappointed with the Peugeots, because there's been some chicanery there, and so I would like to see the Audi take it to the line, but it's just, you just think, oh, God, anything can happen. Look what happened to the other two Audis, just clattering into a back marker is all too easy. It's, it's very tense. I'm with Richard on that. And, you know, it's extraordinary that we, after 24 hours of racing, you know, we basically got a gap of, you know, what, half a second per hour of racing between the first and second place cars. You know, if this was a Grand Prix, that would be a gap of, what, one second between first and second place cars. And this is in a race that has all of the, you know, the, the extra rolls of the dice that you get with passing traffic, with weather, with reliability issues. And despite that, you know, we've got this incredible tight finish and they're so close at the end that we've just seen a you know, message on the timing board that says after checkered flag one full lap due to short gap which I'm assuming means that because the first and second place cars are so close together you know race control is, is expecting to come across the line at full speed therefore there's going to be no slowing down for the checkered flag no parade across the line they're racing to the end, which is going to be in exactly 22 minutes from now. Gareth Jones on speed at Le Mans 2011, counting down to the end of the 24 hours. As the French commentary tells us, the countdown continues at exactly four minutes to go of this 24-hour race. 
the number two Audi still leads the gap is 17.797 seconds the leading Audi's last lap was 3 minutes and 28 seconds the number two Peugeot only 17 seconds behind its last lap was 3 minutes and 29 seconds I can't see Peugeot getting this it looks like Audi have managed to hold off the French giant we'll find out in exactly jinx 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 what are you saying I can't say that no we've got 3 minutes to go better stop talking I'll have jinxed them Gareth Jones on speed at Le Mans 2011 near the end Twenty-four seconds left of the twenty-four hours Dumont. The clock has suddenly appeared in the corner of the screen that I'm watching in the Audi pit over the garage. Andre Lotterer still leads. He's, they're going to add the last lap because they're going to cross line at racing speed. It looks like my prediction of uh, a moment ago may just be true that Peugeot have been beaten by a single remaining Audi Andre Lotterer's car I can see around the far side of the circuit on the screens now just passing the leading Corvette the number 73 Corvette Zog's just spotted something what? no no I'm just trying to just trying to work out exactly where the uh Exactly where Lotter is on track at the moment. I think he's coming up to Indianapolis. Yes, yes, it is Indianapolis. First part of Indianapolis. Passing the uh, the slower LMP cars. I forgot to mention the GTE Pro category. Like Andre Garcia in the Corvette, the number 73 Corvette, has held off Giancarlo Fisichella for honours there. Olivia Lombard in the Zytec is the leading B2 car. Audi flags suddenly appear on the camera shots of what's going on on the circuit. The French crowd are slightly hushed. And I was wondering why. Leading Audi doesn't have a French driver as it crosses the line, then it would give the French something to celebrate. But I think the whole idea is that Audi wants a German driver in the car as he crosses the line. I can see Dr. Wolfgang Urlich in the pit box looking at the screens, almost smiling. But you can't smile until they've crossed the line. This race has been cruel in the past and could be cruel this time. Helicopter shot now of the number two Audi. This, remember, was the car that qualified on pole for Le Mans as he enters the Ford chicanes now and is in sight of the grandstand. Just listen to this as Audi cross the line, winning Le Mans, the 79th running in 2011. Titanic as this battle always is Audi did it well done
just listen to that the Audi trucks are sounding the horns <laughs> lots of hugging downstairs in the pits and big smiles upstairs so they did it crikey what a hell of a race that's unbelievable it always is unbelievable. it's always a hell of a race it always that's why is. we yeah. come every year but what a finish you don't usually get you know such quite a you know, quite a close finish and what a chase that the Peugeots gave the number two Audi yeah. after all that early drama with the crashes fantastic that was it that was Gareth Jones on speed at Le Mans 2011 I guess I'll see you here perhaps next year if you've never been to Le Mans consider coming and I'll catch you on the next Gareth Jones on speed say goodbye Richard goodbye to send us an email see pictures get song lyrics join our Facebook fan site or follow us on Twitter go to garethjones.tv Gareth Jones on speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on speed